Have you ever had that feeling when you leave the doctor's office and think, what did they just say? Or have any burning questions you didn't have time to ask? Or I don't remember anything that just happened in that appointment. Or even, were they speaking my language? Yeah, us too. That's where we come in. We're the podcast dedicated to helping you understand what your doctor said about that thing you saw your doctor for in the first place. We understand it can be an information overload. We're here to help. I'm Dr. Josh Fletcher, a family medicine resident at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto. And I'm Jake Bloom, the person who doesn't know what's happening at the doctor's office. Welcome to Dr. Dictionary. I just want to make a quick disclaimer that this podcast isn't meant to be a replacement for a traditional doctor's appointment, nor is it meant to be providing medical advice. Rather, it's meant to be a supplement to your doctor's visit and explain why your doctor asked what they asked and help you explain the diagnosis and common treatment plans. Lastly, doctors often have very different styles and approaches to a patient and their diagnosis. If we discuss a question or treatment plan that your doctor didn't mention, that doesn't mean that they were wrong. This could represent a different in practice style or simply the fact that your doctor knows you better than we do and has created a treatment plan that better fits your lifestyle. Uh, Welcome back to Dr. Dictionary. In today's episode, we'll be focusing specifically on diet and diabetes, answering any burning questions you may have and addressing the common misconceptions on this topic. I'm very excited to be joined by Jennifer Otley, a certified diabetes educator and a registered dietitian working at the North York Family Health Team. Hi, Josh. Thanks so much for having me today. So talking about diet, similar to how I started the questions for exercise, how does diet affect my blood sugar? A healthy eating pattern is one of the cornerstones to diabetes management, along with physical activity, stress management, and medications if and when needed. Not only can a healthy eating pattern help manage your blood sugars, it can help improve your heart health, so your blood pressure and cholesterol levels, and can also help reduce the risk of diabetes complications like heart attack or stroke. It can also help with managing your weight if this is one of your goals. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach to healthy eating for diabetes, and I can't stress this enough. That's why you'll probably keep hearing me say phrases like, many people find, versus this is what you should do when you have diabetes. That being said, when you're getting started on your journey of healthier eating for managing your diabetes, or you feel you're in need of a refresher, there are some helpful things to know about how and what foods impact our blood sugars to build a healthy eating routine. As many of you have probably heard, carbohydrates are a type of nutrient that is found in many foods and beverages that we enjoy. The three main food groups that have carbs are grains and starches, fruits, and milk and yogurt, as well as some milk alternative beverages. When we eat foods that have carbs, they are digested and turned into sugar or glucose, which then enters our bloodstream and raises our blood sugar. If you have diabetes and eat too many carbs at one given time, there will be more carbs that your body will have to process at one time, and your blood sugar might increase more than it's healthy for your body. Does that mean I need to cut out all carbs from my diet? Absolutely not. And this is a great place to start the conversation today. But the timing, the amount, 
the type, as well as what we pair carbs with is what makes a difference in managing our blood sugars. We often hear or think that once we get diagnosed with diabetes, we have to cut out all the carbs, and this is simply not the case. Carbohydrates give us energy, and depending on the type of food, many other important nutrients like fiber, magnesium, calcium, the list goes on. Okay, that's good to know because I got really nervous about cutting all carbs out from the diet. <laughs> so when exactly should we be eating then? Yes, yeah, so that let's talk about timing first as it helps set the stage for the other pieces of the puzzle. Most of us do best with three meals spaced about four to six hours apart and ideally breakfast within one to two hours of waking. When we have larger gaps between meals, we can often start to feel very hungry and what do we crave? Often simple carbs and larger portions, so maybe crackers or chips while we're making dinner, or we might eat more rice or potato once we finally sit down to eat. So having a balanced snack when there is a larger gap between meals can be helpful for many people. So how many carbs should people with diabetes eat then? And on that topic, I've also heard about something called counting carbs. So what exactly is that? Counting carbs usually means keeping to a certain number of carbs per meal or snack, which is measured in grams, and trying to keep to a daily limit. For many people with type 2 diabetes, they don't need to count carbs per se. It's more helpful and a lot easier to focus on servings or portions per meal. So for most people, a good starting point is one to two slices of bread. It depends if some bread products are larger than others, or about one cook, cup of cooked starch. So a rice, pasta, potato, etc per meal, which is about the size of your fist, or another way to look at it is about a quarter of your plate or bowl for that meal. If one cup of rice seems like too little food, as right now you're eating about three cups of rice at most meals, then reducing to two cups would be a really helpful change for your blood sugars. Often if we work on increasing our veg and ensuring there's a source of protein and fat at our meal, we find that we don't need the same amount of starch we used to eat. For most people, getting in three servings of fruit per day, spaced over three different meals or snacks, is recommended as well. Which types of carbs are better choices then? Choosing foods such as whole grains, beans and lentils versus white bread, as well as whole fruit versus juice, is a great start. The fiber in these foods and the fact that they are whole and minimally processed help slow the digestion of the starch and sugar, Thus, our blood sugar will rise and fall more gradually, thus helping prevent those spikes in our blood sugars. Sugary beverages, whether that be 100% fruit juice or pop, are really, really good at raising our blood sugar and very quickly. So ideally, we keep these beverages to a minimum. Fruit, though, on the other hand, is delicious and nutritious, and even though it's sweet, our body has to do more work to process the fruit, and thus it won't have as big of an impact on our blood sugars compared to juice. So I've also heard of words like high glycemic index or low glycemic index, but what does that actually mean? The glycemic index is a scale out of 100 that ranks how quickly a food or beverage can raise our blood sugar. The higher the number, the more quickly the food is digested and the more quickly our blood sugar can rise. So Diabetes Canada recommends that people with diabetes choose lower glycemic index foods and beverages for that reason. Some people find it helpful to use the list 
to guide their food choices with the goal of choosing from the low GI list, so often shown as green light foods more often, and the medium and high GI foods, which are often coded as yellow and red less often. So for example, an apple is low GI, but watermelon is high GI. When you're first diagnosed with diabetes, it can be quite overwhelming with a lot of information thrown your way, so this isn't usually something I would emphasize in the beginning, as many people have room for change in other ways first that can have a bigger impact on their blood sugars. So meal balance and portions, cooking more at home, and reducing intake of processed foods and added sugars will get you the majority of the way there. I often hear about having a balanced meal. So when we're talking about like the word balanced, what exactly does that mean? (laughs) Yes. Health practitioners, including myself, use the word balance a lot. But what does that even mean, right? So a helpful way to visualize what a balanced meal looks like is to use the plate model concept. Realistically, for most of us, this is a helpful visual for many meals, but maybe not all, and we'll get to that in a minute. As I mentioned earlier when we were talking about carbs, It's not just about the carbs. When we eat carbs paired with other foods, so veg and protein and fat choices, then the carb we do eat is much more slowly digested than if we were to just have carb on its own. Not to mention the other benefits of including these other food groups. Another important thing to point out is that the plate model is recommended for almost all of us, not just people with diabetes, as this is healthy eating. So what is this plate model we often hear about? Well, ideally about half our plate or bowl is non-starchy veg, which are almost any veggie you can think of except the starchy ones like our potatoes, squash, corn, peas. So this includes our leafy greens, bell peppers, bok choy, cucumber, onions, broccoli, cauliflower, and so many other options. Frozen veg are a really great way to help increase our veg intake. They are quick to prepare, very affordable, and super nutritious. We use frozen veg and fruit a lot in my household. About a quarter of our plate, which is about the size of our palm or deck of cards, is a protein choice, which includes many options such as fish, lentils or beans, eggs, Greek yogurt, nut butters, tofu, chicken. Again, the list goes on. The other quarter of our plate is our starch option. So the one cup cooked, as we discussed earlier, with fruit and milk and alternative options on the side or incorporated into our meal. A meal can also be balanced without looking like the plate model. Aim for three different food groups, at least one of these food groups being a good source of protein and another being a fruit or a vegetable. For example, if I have peanut butter toast on whole grain bread with a small banana sliced on top, that is balanced. I get my three food groups in, including a source of protein and heart-healthy fats from the peanut butter. To really round things out, I might add in a glass of milk or milk alternatives. Heart-healthy fats are important to incorporate and include unsaturated fats like olive oil and other veg oils, avocado, nuts, seeds, and their butters, as well as omega-3s from fatty fish. Is it normal for people who feel hungry after that conversation? Because that's just how I feel. Are there any other specific foods or dietary patterns that are beneficial in diabetes? Yep. There are many different dietary patterns that have been shown to help manage diabetes, which also are heart healthy and can help manage our weight if this is one of your goals. 
So these include Mediterranean-style eating, vegetarian, DASH, and Nordic. These all have very similar food recommendations, which include a diet high in veg and fruits, plant-based proteins, so again our legumes like our beans, lentils, peas, as well as nuts and seeds, whole grains, and heart-healthy fats, like I just mentioned, so our nuts, fatty fish, avocados, and olive oil. It's encouraged to choose less meat and processed foods, including refined starches and added sugars with these dietary patterns. There is also evidence supporting the connection between food and our mood, with positive benefits coming from including the foods from these dietary patterns. I do quickly want to touch on a lower-carb dietary pattern. So some people choose to follow a lower-carb, and to be clear, not a no-carb diet, to help manage their diabetes, and this can often still be balanced and not much different than what we've already talked about. Please be aware, though, that if you are taking certain medications for your diabetes, it's really important to speak to your doctor or diabetes educator if you're planning on making big changes to your carb intake. You could put yourself at a risk of low blood sugars and other potential health risks. If you haven't already, we have an episode on hypoglycemia or low blood sugar and diabetes, so I encourage you to go listen to that as well. So is it better to eat home-cooked meals or eat out more often? So takeout food, whether it be restaurant-style or fast food, does tend to contain added salt, fat, sugar, and the portions and balance are often not the same as when we cook at home. So yes, less often is probably better. Okay, and should I be restricting the amount I eat each day then? I find a better way to look at it is changing the relative proportions. So many of us tend to eat larger than recommended portions of starch at meals, diabetes or not. So try using the plate model portions as a starting point and pay attention to your hunger and fullness cues to guide the amount you eat and serve yourself on an ongoing basis. When we slow down and enjoy our food, we are often satisfied with less too. But some days we might need a bit more and some days a bit less. But we have to start listening to what our body is telling us so those signs of hunger and fullness for this to happen. Can you briefly touch on some of those fad diets that we often hear about? like the keto diet or paleo diet or juice cleanses or smoothie diets, etc. It sounds like the goal that you've been talking about is all about balance and sustainability. And I'd imagine that some of these diets can be very challenging to maintain it all the time. Is that true? Yes. For most people, the key to sustainability is following a balanced eating pattern with a flexible mindset in relation to our food choices. This is not a race. Um, I've seen too many people dive into something that was too drastic, often unbalanced, and very restrictive, and this can lead to cycling back into previous habits that also probably weren't the best either. So this flip-flopping can be damaging to our health and also how we feel about ourselves. This isn't a pass or fail. This is a journey with inevitable ups and downs, and it can be really helpful if we approach optimizing our dietary pattern with a more flexible mindset. Using the 80-20 concept can help us practice being more flexible. So this means that most of the time, or 80% of the time, we make everyday healthy choices as we've talked about today and eat sometimes foods about 20% of the time. We all need that wiggle room. And what would you say is a take-home message about diet and diabetes? You have to find something that works for you so that you can sustain a more balanced eating pattern. It's what and how we eat most of the time that makes the biggest difference to our A1C. 
which remember gives us an average of our blood sugar over the past three months and is the gold standard for telling us how our diabetes is going. Depending on your current circumstances, what we've talked about today might seem really far off from where you're at now. Small changes, especially when they are things we do often, will help manage your blood sugars as well as your overall health. So this could mean switching to a whole grain bread, having some veg at one more meal per day, or replacing your juice with the fruit. Or maybe you've always had just one really large meal per day. And if this is the case, then trying to have two relatively smaller meals spaced somewhat evenly over the day will also help with your blood sugar management. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that's important to talk about regarding diabetes self-management? Managing your diabetes can be a lot of work and occupy a lot of time and effort on your part. At times, it can be overwhelming and create or add stress. And we know that stress can affect your blood sugars as well as impact your ability for self-care and management. You don't have to do it alone. If you're having a hard time managing living with diabetes, please reach out for support, whether that be more frequent follow-up with your healthcare provider, additional support from a diabetes education program, peer support, or mental health support. Last question, Jen. Do you recommend any other resources to your patients? Diabetes Canada is the best resource for all information pertaining to diabetes. The information is regularly updated, reviewed, and is evidence-based. Unlockfood.ca is a really great resource that we recommend for any nutrition-related information. It is run by the Dietitians of Canada, and again, it's an evidence-based source for information. Great, and I'll link both in the description below. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jen. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. If people want to reach out to you directly, or I guess during the pandemic, see you virtually, how would they go about doing that? Yes, so um, you can visit our website, so nyfht.com, and visit the Diabetes Education Program area of our website for our contact information. Um, And I just want to say thank you so much, Josh, for allowing me the opportunity to talk about food today. No, thank you. I definitely learned a lot myself, and I will link that in the description below as well. And then if anyone has any more questions for us or any suggestions, feel free to email us at thedoctordictionary at gmail.com or tweet us at the Doctor Dictionary. As always, I'd like to thank Nick and John Bragagnolo for recording the original music. Thanks for listening.